This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Chapter 14, 1 Samuel 14. And it's this familiar passage of scripture uh, of, of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And the trouble with familiar passages of, of scripture is that they're familiar. And we sort of know them too well sometimes. And we can uh, almost miss the, the transformative truth that's there for us. Before we get to um, reading the this passage of scripture, this kind of account of what happens one day with one person who steps forward and creates momentum that brings movement, which is what I really want to talk to uh, today. I want to, I want to talk about confidence tonight, confidence to move. And I don't know uh, how you feel about your life right now. Maybe some of you are pumped up and ready to go and and full of confidence and others of you maybe are struggling for confidence and that's okay because most of us who've been Christians for any length of time will know that uh, life is seasonal and you go through seasons with God Uh, and you must never think that if you're going through a tough season that somehow you're doing Christianity wrong that's just not true every Christian goes through tough seasons. Every Christian goes through doubts. Every Christian goes through struggling for confidence. But we want to have confidence and we want to move with confidence. Um, there was a, a Cornish tin miner called Billy Bray. And he's one of my kind of heroes. And Billy Bray's um, sort of catchphrase was, I'm the son of a king. I'm the son of a king. And he used to say this regularly to anyone he would meet. Hi, I'm Billy Bray. I'm the son of a king. It's a good way to meet people, isn't it? And, uh, but it was something he really believed about himself. And he was a, he was a proper old school back in the day when when, when Christians really were Christians. Do you know what I mean? Like he would work 12 hours uh, a shift down the tin mine in Cornwall. And then at the end of a 12 hour shift, he would go and build a church somewhere. Uh, I mean, like really hardcore stuff. We want to go and have lattes (laughs) Uh, and talk about theology. Those guys, man, they were made of different stuff. And uh, there's a great story about the Billy. I mean, he's just one of those guys with loads of stories. But he was building this church somewhere. And uh, he wanted to have a pulpit for his church. But, you know, he couldn't afford much. But he heard there was a furniture auction in another village. And he thought, well, if I can go to the furniture auction, I'll, I'll find a nice cabinet or something, and that'll be my pulpit. So he went and looked around, and he found this beautiful oak cabinet and uh, he said, that'll be my pulpit. Now, this is back in the old days. And so uh, he had three pounds, and that was his budget. That's all he had, three pounds. That was, he was going to get his pulpit. 
And so the, uh, the auctioneer said, well, you know, we've now got this nice oak cabinet. Who would like to open the, the bidding? And Billy said, three pounds. And so he said, three, three pounds, thanks, Billy. And someone else said, four. And Billy said, no, you can't have it. It's my pulpit. And the auctioneer said, no, Billy, it doesn't work that way. He said, auction, you can't just... He said, but God's told me, I'm the son of a king. That's my pulpit. And he said, well, sorry, Billy, but this, this other guy bought it for four pounds. And so this big old thing, you know, and uh, some people loaded it onto this, you know, like a, a wagon, horse and towing this little wagon thing, you know, trailer. And, uh, and Billy followed this guy all the way down the road. He said, you got my pulpit there. What are you doing? I'm the son of a king and you got my pulpit. And he followed him all the way to this guy's house. And then the Lord spoke to Billy and said, Billy, help him carry it into his house. Don't you hate it when stuff like that happens? <laughs> and you have to swallow your pride. So Billy swallowed hard and he said, let me give you a hand, carry it into your house. So they, they picked up this heavy oak pulpit carry it into the, the house, get to the door, and it won't go through the door. And they tried the front door, and they tried the back door, and it was not going into this house any which way. And the, and the man said, what am I going to do? But he said, I'll give you three pounds for it. <laughs> the guy said, I paid four pounds for it. He said, it's only worth three. So he said, all right. He said, um... <coughs> come on, let's get it back on the wagon. They get, they get it back on the wagon and they take it up to Billy's chapel and the guy helps, now the guy's helping him carry the pulpit into the, the, the chapel, set it up there and he pays him his three pounds and he's walking home and Billy said, what a strange day, Lord. That's really strange. Like why, how come all that happened, Lord? How, why did it happen that way? And he felt God speak to him and say, Billy, how are you going to get the cabinet to the chapel? <laughs> See, when everything seems like it's going wrong, maybe it's going right. God's up to something in a, in a different kind of way. But you've got to have confidence in those moments. You have to have confidence that God knows what he's doing in your life. Let's read the story together. 1 Samuel 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. 
Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. Oh, sorry, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. <coughs> Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon. When you first start reading that passage, it's not a positive picture at all. The glorious army of God is hiding, fearful of their enemy, the Philistines. It's a real picture of defeat. Things are just going horribly wrong. And, uh, and then this one day, Jonathan, who is by the way, the son of a king. Jonathan is the son of the king. And when you're the son of the king, you can get things moving. It's important that you realize that you are the son of a king. You're a daughter of the king. I've got a question for you tonight. Do you really believe that in the depth of your being? I mean, really believe it. Do you really believe when you get out of bed tomorrow morning that you are the child of God? Do you really believe the gospel? Do you really believe that you're a new creation? Do you really believe that you are deeply and passionately loved by Almighty God? See, what you believe about yourself will, will determine how you act throughout your life. I was reading just last week, uh, 
the first letter of John. And John is an old man when he's writing that letter. And he's been around. He's processed what this life of faith is really all about. And in chapter 4, he comes to this conclusion about God. He says, God is love. He says it twice in chapter 4. God is love. And for those of us who've been Christians a long time, we've got to be really careful because we hear that and we go, oh yeah, I know that. I know that God's love. But you have to understand how shocking it would have been for the readers of that first letter to read that about almighty God. Not that God is a God who occasionally loves, but that God actually is love. And in verse 16, he says this. He says, we have come to know and rely on, and some, some translations say believe. We've come to know and believe. We've come to know and rely on the love that God has for us. And as I was reading that, I thought, you know, there's, there's different ways of knowing something, aren't there? So you can, if I said to you, do you know God loves you? You can say, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know God loves me. But there's knowing something in your mind and there's knowing something in your experience. Those are different things. So you and I, we could, we could wake up tomorrow morning and we could, there's plenty of coffee shops in Moira, aren't there? We could sit in a little coffee shop somewhere and we could say, hey, I could say, do you know that you can fly to New York in the air and land safely in New York and be totally fine? Do you know that? And you could say, I know that. Of course I know that. And that's an intellectual way of knowing a thing, isn't it? You know that you can get on a plane at Belfast International Airport, fly at 35,000 feet or whatever it is, across the Pacific, uh, not the Pacific, that'd be the wrong way, uh, across the Atlantic and land in New York. You can know that. But that's not the kind of knowing that John's talking about in his letter. The other thing you could do is actually buy a ticket and get on the plane. And you could be in the air at 30,000 feet. And at that point, you would be knowing and relying on the fact that you can safely fly to New York. You see? And that's the kind of knowledge that John's talking about. He says, we've come to know it and rely on it. We've given our lives to this, this idea that we are deeply loved by God. Do you believe it? Is it, the, is it the bedrock of your confidence that you are loved? You are a child of the King. And here's what I found in my own life and in my ministry life, is that for many of us, we're still working through the implications of that, if we're honest. Now, maybe some of you here tonight, you're there. You've perfectly got it. And you say, Steve, I'm, I'm just there. I know and rely on that. I know, I'm absolutely sure. And if that's where you're at, that's, that's brilliant. It's great. But I, I reckon, and this is not because it's a prophetic word, it's just through experience. There's a bunch of us in this church tonight who we're still working it out. We're, we know it, but we're still working through the implications of what that means in our life on a day-to-day -day basis to really believe 
that I'm a child of the King. To let the truth of the gospel saturate our, our lives, to, to move from our minds to our souls. So it works out in every part of our lives. Jonathan gets up and he says, come on, we're not just going to sit here anymore. We're going to move. We're going to give this a go. We're going to make this happen. I've got a few things to say about the outcome of confidence in our lives. And I, I hope it encourages you in the things that you're facing in your life. The first one is this. When you're confident in who you are, when you're confident in who you are in Christ, confidence, number one, leads to movement. Confidence always leads to movement. He says, he says come, let's go over. Jonathan doesn't say to his armor bearer while he's eating his cocoa pops for breakfast, do you know what, those Philistines over, it'd be good if God did something about that, wouldn't it? Uh, let's hope that, come on, fingers crossed, let's hope that God does something about those Philistines over there. No, he's, he says, let's, let me and you, let's go over there. Let's you and I do something about these Philistines. Confidence always leads to movement. God will always work with someone who will step forward. Someone who will step out. I am... Um, I recently, uh, a year and a half ago, changed church and became uh, a senior pastor uh, of, a, of a, a new church. And uh, having said my whole life, I will never be a pastor. I was that guy. Uh, having grown up in a pastor's home, uh, I just wanted to play my guitar, sing my songs. That was fine. And I remember when I was a, like, when I was like a teenager, some old guy in my home church was praying over me and he says, yeah, I really believe you're going to be a pastor one day. And I stopped him. I stopped him praying. I said, no, you don't, no way, not me. No, sir, no way. Uh, but uh, here's what happened. We were happy in our old church. Everything was fine. We didn't fall out on anybody. Everything was just hunky-dory. And I was associate pastor and and. And uh, suddenly we had this sense, we just, Danae and I just started to feel like we need to move. You know that feeling when things start moving within you before they start moving outside of you? There's a move coming, something's going on. And we heard about this church that was looking for a, a pastor. And I, me, my immediate response was, no way. I ain't doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. That's about, that was about my faith level. I don't, I don't want to go there. Uh, I think God's got something out for us, babe, you know. And my wife is way more spiritual than me. <laughs> said, uh, you know, I think you should maybe talk to them and, and push the door and see. And, uh, and I said, well, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not sure. And, uh, but this, this thing is, just wouldn't go away, this sense of movement. And uh, we were in our church one night, it was a Sunday night, and we had an open worship time. And the person leading the worship, I was just playing guitar in the corner. I wasn't involved in the service. I'm just minding my own business. And the person leading the service just opened it up and said, Look, if anyone wants to pray or if anyone wants to share something, just, just feel free. This is a good moment. 
I saw a few people pray. And then one guy in the church stood up and he said, he said, I feel like someone's here and God says, you fished all night and caught nothing. And it's time to push out into the deep and let down your nets again for a catch. And I'm sitting over in the corner and it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like I had a visceral reaction to it. And that hadn't happened to me for years. I knew it was for me. I knew it was for me. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew it was for me. So the next day, I said to my wife, well, I'm not going to apply for the job, but maybe I'll just have a cup of coffee, a lot of coffee in my life. Maybe I'll have a cup of coffee with one of the elders and just see what's going on, you know. Dip my toe in the water. So I, I, I arranged to meet this elder and went to his house. We sat down, we're having a cup of coffee. And I said to him, tell me about how, you, how the church started. The church started 40 years ago. How did it start? He said, oh, well, we were fasting and praying and, and seeking God about starting the church. And, and we wanted a word from God. And he said, God woke me up in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning. And God said to me, you fished all night and caught nothing. It's time to set out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So I said, wow, <clears throat> wow, wow. And that was the start of a process, which I haven't got time to go into, which led to us moving and, uh, and becoming the pastor of that church. But you see, I had to go and have a cup of coffee. I had to move. I had to push. I had to see. I had to dip my toe in the water. Maybe there's something in, in your life that you need, to, you need to send an email. You need to make a phone call. You need to push a door. You need to start a conversation and see what God might do through it. Number two, confidence. When confidence is growing in our lives, in God, in who we are, in God, confidence says God can do it. God can do it. I love the way that Jonathan isn't fully sure. He doesn't say God will. He says perhaps. All he's, all he's stepping out on is a perhaps. He says, come on, armor bearer. Let's go over to the other side. Perhaps the Lord will cause us to win a victory. But he knows that God can. I want to ask you, what kind of language have you been using in your life lately about God? Are you saying God can? God can. Uh, I think a lot of times when we step out in faith and we, and we serve God, we have this idea that people who do amazing things for God, they, they are 100% confident the whole time. They just know all the time that they're in God's will. And, and I don't think that's true. I think most people that step out and do things for God, they're kind of like shaking and they're on a tightrope and they're going, I, I believe in you, God. I, we, we think this is the right thing. We're trusting you. We know you can, God. You see, when you're young, when you're young, you say, I love young people because when you're young, anything is possible. Anything's possible when you're young. My son is 10 years old. He says he's going to play for Man United. He's convinced. He's convinced. I, I can't talk him out of it. And I keep saying to him, well, you know, son, you might want to have a couple other career options, you know, and, 
no, Dad, like, Dad, no way, because I want to play for United. Because in his heart, he's naive enough to believe that it's possible. He says to me the other day, Dad, Dad, like, don't worry, because like, I've been thinking about it, Dad. And when I play for United, I want to buy you a new house. <laughs> one of those, you know, one of those really nice ones, Dad. Yeah. And he said, I'm gonna, mine will be a bit bigger, Dad, because I'll be playing for United, but you all have a nice one. But you see, as we get older, we start to get cynical. We start to lose this idea that God could do it. God could do it. God could do it. If we're not careful, because the disappointments start to build up. The things that don't work out, they start to build up. And the hurt starts to build up. And the pain starts to build up. If you're not careful, your language starts to change. And you move away from perhaps God will, perhaps God will, perhaps God will. And you start playing it safe. I hope, I mean, I'm 45. If God gives me the, the years and I'm 55 and 65 and 75, if it's his will, I hope I still get out of bed when I'm 75 years old and say, man, God can, God can, God can. Number three, confidence is reinforced in relationship. Confidence is reinforced in relationship. In verse seven, his armor bearer speaks to him. I love the, I feel sorry for the armor bearer because we don't know his name. He made it into the Bible, but his name didn't get listed. It's like being one of, you know, remember when you were in the play at school, you were like armor bearer number one. You didn't even have a name. So armor bearer number one, he's with Jonathan. Verse seven. His armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Oh, for more relationships like that in the church. He says, I'm with you, heart and soul. You do what's in your heart. I'm with you, heart and soul. See, confidence is always reinforced. When it's, it's just better when someone's with you, isn't it? It's better when someone's with you. I, uh, I told you earlier, I'm a social introvert, really. And uh, so that, what that means is if there's a room full of people, the, all the introverts, the, the word that we hate the most is mingle. <laughs> you know when you're at an event and the host says, just mingle, all the introverts go, oh no. <laughs> says, I'd rather go to the dentist than mingle. Um, and so, you know, when you're, you're at an event and you have to walk into a room on your own, you can do it, but it's just a bit more like, Ugh. but when there's three or four of you together, it's like, we've shown up because you're together. <coughs> if you're cleaning the church and you're here on your own, it's like, that's fine. And you might do it with a good attitude and all that. But if there's three or four of you and you're together, it's just easier. Man, there's something about relationship. We were designed to do this thing in relationship. I have a question for you tonight. Are you building heart and soul relationships that will stand the test of time? Because if you and I are gonna live with confidence and do the things that God has called us to do, we need heart and soul relationships. People will say, I'll go if you go. Number four, 
move forward real quickly, try and get through these really quickly. Number four, confidence starts to look for God's involvement. It looks for God's involvement. Confidence always asks, what's God up to? You notice that Jonathan says to his armor bearer, look, we'll go over there. And if they say, stay there, we're coming down to you. That's not so good. (laughs) But if they say, come up to us, then we'll know that God has given them into our hands. That'll be the sign that God's with us in this thing. You see, Jonathan is looking for God's involvement. He's not trying to do this for God. He wants to do this with God. Those of you that are in in various ministries and leading teams and things, don't do it for God. Do it with God. It's a whole different thing. One of the greatest questions that you and I can ask each day is this. What is God up to? What's God up to today? See, if you can wake up in the morning and before you even get out of bed, you can remember who you are. You can know and rely on the love that God has for you. And you can remind yourself, you're the son of a king. You're a daughter of the king. You're a new creation. That's gonna, that's gonna impact you. You're gonna slide down the banister as you go to get your breakfast. And if you can walk out into the world that way and ask yourself, Lord, I know I've got jobs to do today. I know I've got responsibilities. I know there's things to get done, but let me see what you're up to today. Let me join in what you're up to today. It's a different way of living. Too often what we ask is, what am I going to do? Do you ever find yourself during the course of a typical week, things start going wrong and the first question you ask is, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? See, that's a problem because you're turning to yourself as the solution instead of turning to God as the solution. Confidence looks for God's involvement. Number five, confidence takes us out of our comfort zone. It says in verse 13 that Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up using their hands and feet. I love it when the Bible gives us those kinds of details. They climbed up using their hands and feet. There wasn't a cable car. In other words, they had to put some work into this. They had to make some effort. God will take you out of your comfort zone in order to do his best work. I told you earlier, that's how I started doing this ministry. Uh, God just kept dropping me in the deep end. And it's been like that my whole life. Can I say something? I, over the years, I've heard a lot of people say this. They've said, um, you know, if God wants you to do something, don't worry, because he'll give you the desire to do it before he wants you to do it. And I know what those people mean, but I'm not sure that it's true, because it hasn't worked that way in my life. So many things God wanted me to do, I didn't want to do. 
I never wanted to be a singer. I never wanted to preach. I never wanted to be a pastor. I see people, people, sometimes we try and defend God. We try and make it easy on people. We say, oh, you know, don't worry. God's not going to send you to outer Mongolia. He might. Don't be so sure. He's God. And by definition, that means he can do what he wants. Maybe he does want to send you somewhere that you've not thought of going. Maybe he does want you to step into something that you don't particularly want to step into. That's how he does his work. See, the moment you say to God, God, uh, here I am, Lord, do whatever you want in my life as long as it's in this box. You're trying to bargain with God. You're trying to put God into your box. But what you and I have to do, isn't it? Come to God and say, Lord, you're the Lord. You do whatever you want to do. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. My life isn't mine. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. I mean, just think about that for a second. Christ lives in you. It's another one of those things. It's like God is love, you know? It's like, it's one of those things you can just hear it so often as a Christian. You go, yeah, I know Christ lives in me. All right, move on, Steve. I don't want to move on. I want us to think about that for a second because that's, that's crazy. Christ lives in you. That changes everything. Number six, God responds to our confidence. Now, some people are not comfortable with the idea that God responds to us, to our movement, but it's clear in Scripture that he does. I mean, it's all through Scripture. I've got a whole list uh, here on my iPad. Let me just pick out a couple. How about the woman with the issue of blood? Remember that woman uh, who's been uh, ill and she's getting worse and she spent her money on doctors and she's just getting worse and Jesus is coming through the crowd and so she sticks out her elbows and fights her way through the crowd and she says within herself, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I mean, that's confidence. If I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. And she, she touches the hem of his garment and Jesus, the, the, the Bible says, felt power leave him. And he turned around and he said, who touched me? Have you noticed Jesus did not instigate that moment? She did. And sometimes we want it to read differently. We want it to read like this. Jesus was walking through the crowd and behold, he looketh over and sees a woman. And he said, you come here and touch the hem of my garment and you'll be made well. But something happened. God's power moved into her life and it was a response to her confidence, to her decision to move and step out and reach out in faith. I was thinking about Peter. He's one of my favorites. I love Peter because he's always messing it up like me. And, um, but I mean, this is a crazy one. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter is in the boat 
That's the best place to be, in my opinion, like in the boat. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if that's you, command me to come and meet you on the water. That's crazy. And Jesus, I imagine him bobbing up and down. I don't know why. In my head, he's bobbing up and down. Jesus says, come on then, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking. In other words, it wasn't Jesus' idea. It was Peter's idea. I love the fact that God responds to our movement, to our confidence. I have this, always have this picture in my mind on this day that God's up in heaven and he's looking down at the events of the earth and he sees Jonathan and his armor bearer get up and say, hey, let's have a go, Philistines, you know, maybe, maybe. And I imagine God just looking down at them with a heart of love and calling the angels, angels, come and look at this idiot. What is he doing? I love this guy. I mean, how naive can you be? He'll be saying he's going to play for United next. God responds to our movement. God responds to our confidence. Final thing is that confidence is infectious. You and I, we don't have to just be infected by the flu. We can be infected by good things too. And confidence is infectious. I love the fact that Jonathan and, and the armor bearer, they go over, they climb up on their hands and knees and they, they take out about 20 Philistines to start with. And then God gets involved in the fight. I love it that God gets involved. He jumps in and he sends confusion on the enemy. And the enemy, it's like some scene out of some comedy movie, isn't it? They start attacking each other with their swords. And... Uh, and then the other Israelites, they look over and they see this thing happening and they see the Philistine army starting to melt away. And at that moment they go, hey, this is our day. Let's join in. There's always a few late adopters, isn't there? Let's join in. And they charge over there and get involved as well. And I always laugh at verse 22. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, so they were already on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. <laughs> Don't you, you love someone who gets involved at the last 90 seconds for the hot pursuit. I imagine them at the end of the day going home and having their dinner and saying to their wives, yeah, we were in hot pursuit, babe. We were in hot pursuit. But you see... Confidence is infectious. It just takes one person who says, God can. Come on, let's have a go. And someone else says, uh, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, heart and soul. Before you know it, a few more people get involved. Before you know it, a whole church of people are involved and they're all moving together, heart and soul. Confidence spreads. It spreads. So what about you? We're going to pray in a second. What's really going on in your heart tonight? What's really going on in your heart? Have you come to know and rely on the love that God has for you? 
let me put it this way. What would happen if every morning this week you got out of bed and while you were making your coffee, while the water was percolating through the coffee grounds, extracting the flavor, what if you allowed the love of God to percolate through you? You allowed the truth of the gospel to percolate in your soul for a few minutes. You would think about it, really think about it, and pray about it, and thank God for it. So that by the time you're drinking that first cup of coffee, you're already praising God on the inside for who you are in him. Your confidence is already starting to grow with that first morning cup of tea or whatever you're drinking so that you can move into the world and say, Lord, I don't know exactly how things are going to go today, but I'm, my confidence is in you. And I'm looking for what you're up to today. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your word and we want to be men and women who live in a close relationship with you. We want to be men and women who have a close walk with you. We want to be men and women who think about your love, who sing about your love, who read about your love who meditate on your love until we become absolutely convinced in the depths of our being that we're loved, that we belong to you, that we are new creatures, that we're children of the King. Lord, I pray that the truth of who we are in Christ would marinate in our beings and would transform us from the inside out. And I pray the result of that, Lord, would be a, a real deep, overflowing confidence that says, I believe God's going to do great things in and through my life. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who, <coughs> if they're honest, they would say, I've, my confidence has been knocked lately. My confidence is, has been knocked. I need to rediscover that sense of confidence in God again. And Lord, I, I pray that even right now in this moment of prayer, you would be ministering by the Holy Spirit into hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you would be pouring oil, the oil of healing over the wounds in our hearts and lives where our where disappointments have come and taken our confidence away. I pray you'd bring healing. I pray, Lord, that people be encouraged afresh and anew tonight. And Lord, I really pray for those here who 
have been Christians a long time, but they struggle to really, really believe that they're loved. Father, I pray for a fresh revelation in the name of Jesus Christ. And that the knowledge of your love would move from head to the depths of their being. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.